the book of Mark, chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. And you might be able to guess what story we're reading this morning. You know, it's as preachers each week, sometimes we use a lectionary to tell us what scripture to use. Other times we do series and we pick the scripture based on where we feel the church is. And other days are just real easy. There's some days we're like, you know what story we're going to read today? We're going to read about the resurrection. We're going to read about the resurrection of Jesus who defeated death, rose and conquered the grave. So let us go to this story together this morning. Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother James, and Salome, they brought spices so that they might anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb. And they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Do not be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go tell the disciples and Peter, he is going on ahead of you to Galilee. There you, whoops. There you will see him just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the, woman went out, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. This is the word of God for the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. We thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. And all God's people said? Amen. Oof, it's Easter. All God's people said? This is celebratory. This is exciting. This is awesome. Here's something you might not know about me. I really like cheese. If you haven't been to the cheese cottage downtown, I recommend it. It was very good. But something interesting happened to me on Wednesday. I was going to Publix on Old Shell Road, the new one that just opened, because it's very close to where Brian and I have been staying these past seven days. And I pulled up one car ahead of a middle-aged man, and we were walking into Publix together. We don't know each other. We walked towards the same direction of Publix, and we kind of figured out we're both going to the sandwich line. Have you ever, like, gotten to, like, a line like that at the same time as somebody else? And you're like, who's going to go first? Who's going to go first? He looked at me. We got to the sandwich. There's somebody already ordering. He goes, you can go. I could tell he's in a hurry. I was like, no, you got it. It's all good. You go ahead. Go, Go ahead. And he said, you sure? I said, yes. After he got up in line, another sandwich artist came, and she... I think that's, that's, a, that's the proper term. Sorry, sorry. And she said, what can I get for you? And I said, I would like the ultimate with pepper jack cheese. And then she made it. She put it in the oven. She toasted it. Afterwards, she came back and she put all my vegetables on it. And she made it real. I mean, I was really excited about this sandwich. I love sandwiches. And she said, um, would you like any cheese on this sandwich? I was like, I think you already put some pepper jack cheese on it for me. And she goes, oh, you're so right. Oh, my goodness, I did. You know... It's just been one of those days. And I was very surprised by my own internal reaction to her statement. Because when she said, it's been one of those days, all I could say was, I'm sorry, it sure has. Because she smiled and then cut up my sandwich and she sent me on my way. But the reason I was surprised by my own internal reaction is because I truly believe, had things been slightly different that day, I don't know that I would have responded as kindly 
as maybe I did in that moment. This is not me like patting myself on the back. I was just surprised at my own resolve. Because you see, on Wednesday, we were on the fourth day of our stay at Women's and Children's Hospital. Brianna um, was soon to be discharged, but they were gonna let us stay for a little while because our newborn daughter is in the NICU, where she still is right now. And um, she's covered in you know, what it seems like millions of tubes and cords. And, and I just, you know, the whole week's just been overwhelming, this emotional kind of wreck. And, um, and right before that, you know, I was, um, Brianna was recovering from, from C-section. She was there in the hospital. And while we were there in the NICU with August, um, we got a call that somebody who was borrowing our car got in an accident. And, um, and so I left the NICU and Christina Burford was so sweet. She walked out right in time and she drove me over to Airport Boulevard. And the car was, you know, pretty banged up, but we were able to, um, it was drivable. But it's one of those things you're like, oh man, this is, this is a bummer. Um, and we, it was drivable and we made sure everybody was okay. The back end was messed up and the airbags had gone off on the side, but it was the only car we had. So I drove it to Publix to get a sandwich <laughs> because Brianna um, and I had not yet eaten lunch. And so when she said, you know, it's just been one of those days. And I was like, you know what? It sure has. <laughs> but the thing I think that curbed my attitude in that moment was the fact that when I received the call about the wreck, and once we found out everybody was okay, you know, in that moment, when, whenever we got that call, you know where I was. Brianna was holding our daughter for the very first time. And the look on her face of just pure happiness of a mother getting to hold her child for the very first time, four days after she was born, was indescribable. And so there's very little outside of that hospital that was gonna shake that from me. You can replace cars as long as everybody's okay. I think at any other time, had my you know, car gotten in a wreck, I'd been frustrated, I'd been upset. But I was just standing in that sandwich line knowing like there's nothing that could go wrong outside of that hospital short of a family member getting hurt that's gonna mess up my day. I had something in that moment that I'd never had quite like it before. And I hope I could hold on to it. I found a new perspective, a perspective that was very unique and one I had not um, expected. See, what I expected having a child is everybody says, your life is gonna change. I think I heard that from almost everyone in this room about a million times, and thank you for that. My, you are gonna love something more than you can love it. You're, gonna, you're, gonna, you're never gonna sleep again, you know, all those things. And that's what I was, I was expecting, those things. Yet our plans did not quite go as we expected. And so I had a very different perspective. I think that's what Holy Week does for us too. I think as Christians, that's what Holy Week is supposed to help us do. In a major way, it should give us a very different perspective on life. I think about the women in this text that we just read and about their perspective. And I invite you to hear the story again with me and think about the resurrection account through their lens and not just your own perspective, but, but from theirs. Experience it with me as they might have. Think about their frame of mind and what it must have been like to go through that first Monday, Thursday where Jesus was arrested, that first Good Friday where Jesus was crucified, and how that affected where their state of mind was that Sunday morning. When we read this text, it's impossible to separate our joy of the resurrection. But what if this is you in this moment and you are these women and the resurrection has not yet happened? Just think about how painful it would have been for these women to hear that the man that they believed was so special had been taken away and arrested on Thursday night. 
For Mary Magdalene, this is the same man who saved and spared her life, the man she devoted her life to follow. He was arrested and he allowed himself to be taken away. And then they had to see him after he had been beaten and flogged. They had to see him in that state. They had to hear the crowd chant that they did not want him to be set free, but rather a common criminal. They had to watch as nails were driven through his hands and his feet. And they wept as that cross was hoisted into the air and placed in the ground. That's, that's what they had in their minds when they're walking to the tomb. They did not have our post-Easter perspective. They had the agony of what seems like an unbearable experience. Then two mornings later, they're on their way to give Jesus um, some spices to anoint Jesus. They're on the way to his grave. And can you imagine like, what that walk would have been like if you're these three women, if you're, if you're just kind of walking in silence? They were probably wondering, you know, what are they gonna do now with their lives? The past three years, they've just you know, been following around Jesus. They've been believing in this man, the Messiah, but had their beliefs been in vain? He was dead. Had they been tricked? Jesus was supposed to be the Messiah. He was supposed to bring about real change, and they trusted him. And he willingly let himself be taken. Did he just give up? Was he faking it? He let himself be beaten, be crucified. Surely if he had been the Messiah, he would have busted free from the captivity and set all things right. On the walk to the tomb, the only thing Mark tells us that they said to each other, there could have been another conversation, we don't know, but the only thing we know for sure is they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the tomb for us? I can't imagine they probably did say anything else. Have you ever been in like one of those grief-filled states, maybe walking somewhere or sitting with some people, where everybody is feeling pain and difficulty and you're maybe in a room, maybe you're, you're walking to, driving somewhere to an experience that you know is gonna be very heavy and no one's really saying anything because it's just silent. Every now and then somebody might try to make small talk, hey, is it gonna rain this afternoon or sure it's cold for this time of year, it's a little unusual. They're on their way to anoint Jesus and this is kind of their state. But when they got there, something very peculiar had happened. The stone, which was very large, had already been removed. In that moment, do you think they felt relief? Like, oh good, the stone, somebody's already got it for us. Or do you think they felt confusion? Like, did somebody come take our job? Has somebody already anointed Jesus? Or was it fear? Somebody's done something to Jesus' body. He had lots of haters. I mean, who's gonna be coming and doing something to Jesus's? They probably didn't say haters, but I did. <laughs> Has somebody done something to Jesus's body as they enter into the tomb, and this is unique to Mark's gospel, you know, this is not the story in all the gospels, this is how Mark tells it. They enter the tomb and they saw a young man dressed in white sitting onto the right side of the tomb wearing a white robe. Now, in this particular account, we don't know who this man is. In other accounts, the women meet angels, and one of the others, someone thinks that there's a gardener there and it turns out to be Jesus. But in Mark, it's just a young man in a white robe sitting off to the right. And he tries to calm them down. He says, do not be alarmed. But if you're walking into this tomb or you're expecting to see like Jesus, who is this amazing guy and he's not there, wouldn't you be a little alarmed? And he said, the young man, goes, he said, he has risen. He is not here. See the place where you left him, but go tell the disciples and Peter who's going ahead of you to Galilee, just as he told you he would. 
And it says the women are then more scared and confused. It says, trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Let's be honest. Wouldn't you be trembling, bewildered, terrified, and amazed all at the same time also if you just had the three days they had? If your Thursday night, you saw this man who you loved and trusted get arrested on Friday, you saw him die. On Saturday, you had to sit with it. And on Sunday, you're still trying to process what just happened. And then all of a sudden, you experience somebody saying, hey, he's not here. You're terrified maybe you know, to have any hope because what if what he says is true? You, don't, you, you wanna be hopeful about it, but you're also scared that maybe it's not. You're amazed about the possibility that it could be true, bewildered by the logistics of how does something like this happen? They had not yet seen anybody rise from the dead after they had been crucified three days later. And 21 hours from Thursday to Friday, their whole world was shaken to its core. And then on an instant on Sunday morning, it was changed all over again. The mixture of emotions is almost incomprehensible, isn't it? Like, think about, this is our our Easter perspective this morning, where these women, what they experienced. The mixture of pain and fear and sadness with hope and amazement and possibility. Have you ever had an experience like that in your life? I've never given this question much thought because I've never had to until this past week. I mean, I've experienced grief in my life. I've lost people I love and it was very difficult. And I've also experienced great joy in my life. My wedding day, best day of my life. But not until this week have I ever had to try to process such a messy tangle of emotions in such a very short period of time. And honestly, I'm still processing them. You know, it'll probably be a while before I'm done processing them. And Holy Week looks a lot different than it has in the past because my perspective has changed. I thought about not sharing too much about this story because it's Easter and we're all being celebratory, but this is a very celebratory experience for us. I thought about just giving a short summary. We had a baby, but to be honest, as a preacher, I tried to be as transparent and vulnerable as possible because I want you to know that I love you and I mean it. And I'm not just here to hear to tell you, you know, you go do this and I'm gonna do that. And also, as, as a preacher, what we do is we give you our perspective on the text. That's what we do. Every, every week we come up here and I tell you, this is my reading of the scripture and here's the stories that go along with it in my mind. And so my perspective is always influenced by my seminary education, my own prayer and meditation, our theological disposition as a Methodist community, and then probably most heavily by my own experience. We cannot, any of us cannot remove ourselves from our own experiences. And so the lens through which we often read scripture is our own perspective. And so I cannot disconnect myself from that. And so as I was preparing a sermon this week, writing a sermon this week, I couldn't help but read this story about this messy tangle of emotions without thinking about this Holy Week that began last last Palm Sunday. And right before Palm Sunday officially began at 12 o'clock, my wife told me that her water broke right as we got in bed. And she said, we're going to the hospital. And I, I, was, I was up faster than a bottle rocket out of a soda can. I mean, I was, let's go. <laughs> I was pumped. We had literally just gotten in bed. And she's like, we're going. I'm like, okay. When we got there about midnight, Robbins, our senior pastor, and his wife, Nell, were already there waiting for us. They would pray with us to make sure we're okay because it was so unexpected. We don't have any family that live here. And so they hadn't made it yet. And so they were there for us as the only a pastor can be. 
in that moment. He was my pastor. We got checked in, made sure everything you know, was normal and that we were actually having a baby. We found out that Brianna was not very far along yet, and so they said, just be prepared. It's gonna be a long night, long day. You're probably gonna be here for a while. And we said, okay. And they said, um, you know, our, our plans then started changing a little bit. Have you ever noticed how as humans, we always like to talk about like worst case scenarios as if like there's no possible way, you know, that they could happen. And I feel like, um, you know, it's like when you eat oysters, raw oysters, my, my dad and my grandmother, they always tell me, you know, you get sick from those. And technically I know it's true, but like, I don't actually think it's gonna happen. So I still eat raw oysters. Maybe I shouldn't anymore. Um, but in that, I wonder if like medical professionals are trained to like kind of talk about that way too. I haven't asked Brianna. I, they don't know if they talk about this in nursing school or something. But um, our doctors at Children's Women's were fi- fantastic. Our nurses have been awesome. They've been so compassionate. But that first night, I gotta tell you, they all kept saying this like, you know, um, we're about to move along, but just wanna let you know, um, we gotta do a quick ultrasound to make sure that, you know, she's head down and, and then we'll go ahead. But it's, we're sure she is. We just have to double check. So they bring the ultrasound in and then sure enough, you know, they're like, oh, you know, she, the, the tech's face, the, um, the nurse's face and like immediately changed. She goes, I'm so sorry. So our plans changed then and, and we were pretty upset about it because that was not what we were expecting. And she said, um, but we said, you know what? So let's be here sooner. We'll get to hang out there sooner. It'll be great. It'll be great. So the nurse's anesthetist comes in. I can't say that word, anesthetist. I, have, I had a lisp as a kid and it still comes up on certain words. The nurse anesthetist came in. And, um, and he was so awesome. He was so kind. And he's talking about how, all right, so we're gonna do a C-section. And you're gonna be back there with her. You can sit next to her head because I didn't wanna see nothing. We had already decided that. No matter what was happening, I, wasn't, I was gonna be up with the head the whole time. Sitting down. <laughs> Y'all best believe that. So he, he was, he's describing everything to us. And he said, um, so just so you know, you're gonna be there. And, and um, he said, but there's a small chance, you know, for some reason the epidural doesn't take, you won't be able to come back. So, but that's like a 5% chance. It's like, you're fine. And um, like, all right, that's cool. And then we're supposed to go back at four. Uh, they told us at 2.30, we're gonna go back at four. And then right at three, right before three o'clock we go, it's been declared an emergency. We're gonna go ahead and go back. I'm like, oh my gosh, we're going now. So I'm trying to text our parents, Brianna's parents, like, cause they were coming down, you know, 65 on the way here from Montgomery. And I was like, we're going back now. And like, it was literally right then. They took her out and they rushed her out. And I, I yelled, and like, I was following behind the, the thing, the, what's that thing called? Bed. And, and I <laughs> That wasn't a joke in my nose. That was an accident. And I said, love you. Like, that's my last. And then she's gone behind these double doors. And, there'll be, and somebody turned around and said, we'll come get you in just a few minutes. So just wait here in the hallway. And so I'm there in the hallway solo by myself. And everybody's like, why didn't you call us? And they took my phone because they're trying to be kind. Oh, wait, that's in a second. All right. So I was there in the hallway for a few minutes, about like eight minutes. And somebody came out and said, it'll be just a few more minutes. And then you can go back. I'm still like all by myself, freaking out, eight minutes. Felt like an eternity at that point. And then at the 15-minute mark, they came back and they said, the epidural didn't take. You're not gonna be allowed to go back. And I was like, like lost it. That's how I was like losing it. And I was like, can I go back and tell her like I love her and like see her? And they go, no, she's already on the table. She's already under. Um, we'll come let you know as things progress or whatever. And then again, just alone in the hallway. And that's when they took my phone so they could take pictures for me. But then I was like, I had to text somebody, I had to call somebody. But I'm like literally just, alone in this hallway. And um, it was like 35 minutes, like nothing. And it felt like for forever. And it was brutal. And I was like, this is what Good Friday must have felt like. When the person you love, you know, you don't know what's going on. Like something different happened. 
or maybe Monday, Thursday, whenever he was arrested and they didn't know what was gonna happen next. I don't know. I, I, the, the pain of Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday became very real for me last Sunday night on Palm Sunday. And at 35 minutes, I heard my daughter cry for the first time. I've heard her cry a lot since. <laughs> she really likes eating. She's a, she's a big fan of it, and she lets her nurses know it's time. But even still, they, they came out about three minutes after I heard the cry, and they said, she's going to the NICU. You're not gonna be able to hold her we're gonna have to just take her by. You can see her as she goes by. And so like five or six minutes later, they brought her out in this isolate box, plastic case thing. And they, they rolled her by and I saw her and she was beautiful. And they're like, we'll let you know something in a couple hours when you can see her. And I was like, how's Brianna? And they're like, we gotta go. Like they didn't tell me anything. I'm like, oh my gosh, come on now. It was another 20 minutes before I found out, you know, what was going on with Brianna. I was like, how, somebody finally came out and said, how is she? And they said, we're still working on her. And I was like, that's the worst thing you could possibly say. <laughs> I'm telling this in a much funnier way. I was definitely crying, like hysterically. I was on the floor. This nice med tech saw me crying on the floor and she came up and stood by me. And she, she had met Brianna because that's where Brianna works. And she goes, I know she's so strong. She's gonna be great. And, um, and I said, I appreciate that. And she stood with me for a little bit and then she left. And again, I was just like alone in the hallway. And then finally, after an hour and 15 minutes, somebody came out and said, they're finishing, you know, sewing her up. She did great. She's about to come out and go to recovery and you can sit in there with her then. And like my heart just was filled with like tempered relief in a way because I still couldn't see her, you know. And then they brought her out and I just remember like the joy of that moment going from like unbelievable fear to unbelievable joy and also the joy of hearing August but also like the fear of knowing she's in the NICU and knowing I have to tell Brianna that she's in the NICU and when she wakes up and like, it was more emotions than I could handle. And in the rest of the week, you know, ups and downs, a lot of ups and downs. August was in the NICU with all these tubes and I didn't know what to do and I didn't know, you know, how to help. And Brianna's parents, when they first got there, they're like, what do we do? And I'm like, I don't know. Every potential scenario while she was back there was going through my mind, all these possibilities of what life was gonna be like. I was just crippled by fear, you know, crying hysterically. I just... It was more than I knew what to do with. But what I will say is that because of this experience, I now understand a little more about Holy Week. And I'm not saying that you have to go through super traumatic experiences to appreciate Holy Week. I don't believe that. But my perspective has changed about what happened for those women on their way to the tomb, about what kind of emotions they were going through, and then about how joyful Easter can be. Um, because I'm about to wrap up this story and wrap up this sermon. Easter will never be the same for me because in just a few hours, we get to take her home. She's being discharged today. We fed this morning and, you know, I love you all, but I'm not gonna stay and shake all your hands. <laughs> I'm gonna pick up a quick lunch with my mom and my dad and my grandmother. We're gonna get back over there for her last feeding in the NICU and then at some point this afternoon, they're gonna let us go home. But what I've realized as I was writing this sermon is that sometimes as Christians, we get really good about always thinking about the, the good things that happen on Easter. It's so joyful and, and we should because it's a great day. But what this story helps us realize when we think about it from the women's perspective is that the pain of the cross is what 
made way for the greatness of Easter. There is no resurrection without the death. And I can't say that all pain will immediately go away in a week or in three days. I know that as families and as individuals, we go through things in life that are difficult, that are hard, that seem unending. But I believe in the resurrection, and so I believe in the power of God. Because I believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, and that we had to celebrate that on Easter, I believe that God has all things, can make all things possible. And I don't know what that looks like in each of our lives and every day and everyday scenarios. I know that some days it might feel like we're in the pit of despair and the next day it might feel like we are in the mountaintop. That sounds a whole lot like Good Friday and Easter to me. And the next day might be, not actually the next day, it might be looking back and realize it's been a year or two years, but that God has been with us through this. But I believe in the power of God because I believe in the resurrection. And so on Easter, we celebrate. We celebrate that though there might be pain through the night, the joy comes in the morning. Whenever that morning might be, I believe that there are mornings for all of us. I believe that God is at work in all of our lives. And because of Easter, because of resurrection, there's nothing that God can't do. And I don't think you have to have a baby on Holy Week to appreciate this perspective I think we can all read this story together and realize that life is just messy. Sometimes we have a a tangle of emotions that we cannot control. One day we might be full of grief. The next day we might be full of joy. The next day we might be full of grief. It might go back and forth, but that God is still with us in all things because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, we know Jesus We have access to grace that is immeasurable. We have the potential of the power of God at work in our lives. And it might not always be like we planned. This week was sure not for us. But I believe that God was still with us the entire time, in the pain and in the joy. And that's what Holy Week is all about. And on Easter, we celebrate that Christ is risen and that we have the immeasurable potential of God at work. And so I hope you will leave here this Easter finding the joy from this day. Of all days in this entire Christian year, I hope today that God brings you some peace, that God brings you some joy, and that God brings you some hope. Because we believe in a God who is capable of immeasurably more than we could ask for or imagine. And the mystery is this. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ will come again. Amen? Amen. 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 Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for this Easter Sunday, and we thank you that you are with us now and always in our pain and in our joy. Help us to know that you are there. Help us to appreciate the messiness of Holy Week, the emotions of Holy Week, the arrest, the betrayal, the death, the resurrection. God, you are in all things, and we give thanks to you in all things. We know, God, that sometimes our plans don't go as we planned. Life doesn't always work out the way we hope. But even in the confusion, even in the sorrow, we trust you. We know you are there. Even when it hurts, we praise you. On this Easter Sunday, we celebrate that you have defeated death 
and risen from the grave. Amen.